Today we begin a new journey, 50 days of transformation. We've been talking about this for several weeks. We've been encouraging you to get a t-shirt. I have lots of shirts out there. Please take those. Parents, if you wonder if your son or daughter who are elementary age, we have smalls and mediums out there for sure. Uh, don't worry about the cost. If you can help, great. If you can't, just take a shirt. I'd rather have them on people's backs than be putting in boxes. So I think we've had about 150 church shirts picked up, but there's still some more. So by all means, take one. We've also been talking about this uh, devotional journal, this guidebook that we're using. I hope you brought yours with you if, you if you've picked one up. If not, there's a few more that are still out there. And if we run out, there's a list. You can add your name and say, hey, we ran out. I still need one. We'll order some more. But this book, I want to encourage you to bring it with you each week because we'll be referring to it. We'll be using some, some materials in that in the preaching. Let me just briefly walk you through a little bit of this before we get in uh, to this morning's message. So if you have your book, you're going to open up to this and look at uh, page 6 and page 7, Roman numeral page 6 and page 7. They tried to mess with our mind a little bit and make this book a little confusing. The numbers are actually in the middle of the page. So if you're looking for a corner, and then they start with Roman numerals, and then they change to, re to regular numbers. So Roman numerals 6 and 7 is an important spread of pages you're going to be aware of because as you go through each week on this journey, there's going to be a challenge of hearing a goal from God and then writing that goal down. So hopefully at the end of seven weeks, you'll have seven goals that you're going to work on in your walk with God, and you'll be able to have those right before you to refer to them. So as you go through 2016 and maybe even 2017 and maybe 2018, you can refer back to this goal page. And so that's an important page that you're going to want to be aware of. Flip over a couple number pages now to normal numbers, American numbers, number two and number three, just a, a blank page for you to take some notes on your chair. There's a growth guide or a message note taker where you can take some notes and some detail, and so you're going to want to maybe use both of those. Uh, if you're not a note taker and you're a doodler, then by all means doodle and then share it with me because I love to see some doodling work. That's okay. Some people, that's how you stay focused. Um, and then you flip over the next pages and pages uh, Page 5 through about uh, page 10, 11 is all what's going to happen in small groups this week. So when you go to small group, you're going to want to take that and, and have this book with you, and that's where your small group will be focusing at. And then you get over to page 14, and page 14 begins our daily devotions. So you'll see day one starts on page 14. So day one is today. So sometime today, you're going to want to sit down with you and God. You're going to want to read that. And then there's some questions to consider in prayer and for you to think about your walk with God. There's one of those for every single day. Don't wait until your small group gets started and say, well, when they get started, and if you're meeting on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, you're going to be behind. So start today and spend some time. And there's a daily devotion. It's short. It's one page. The idea is to start creating some daily habits where you have a habit of getting in the Word of God. Now, I, I see over here some teenagers. Some teenagers have books and some don't. Parents, that's up to you. You work your teenager. If you think, man, they're so full of school and I know what they do with their books. They end up on a shelf. They don't use it. Then, then they don't take it. They're doing some things a little bit different with the teenagers. But if you're like, man, my son or daughter, they love this kind of thing. By all means, then encourage them to take one and then engage with that as well. And so that's how the book is kind of set up. And so I want to encourage you to use this. Hopefully, if you use this well, uh, this will be a tool that you will have in your toolbox to refer to in your journey with God and your walk with God for years and years to come. 
And so we're going to use that, and we'll be even referring back to that here a little bit in the message today. But by all means, take some notes and, and use that note taker in there. The scripture for this series comes from Romans 12 too. We looked at this last week. I want you to do this with me again. Would you read this with me? And when we read it, read it with some gusto. Read it with some life. Sometimes when we say it out loud, God starts to plant that in our heart and our mind. Our ears need to hear it. So let's read this together. You ready? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've heard me say this before. It's not something I've come up with. It's just something that I've learned through the years uh, from different preachers. I've heard them share this. And you look at this verse, and, and here's the truth. The way you think determines the way you feel, and the way you feel determines the way you act. Stop and think about that for a moment. If you want to change something in your life you, you, that you don't like, you don't start with your actions. You have to start with how you think. You don't start even with your feelings. You start with how, how you think. You start with your thoughts. It, it, for instance, if you're acting depressed, it's because you feel depressed. And if you're feeling depressed, it's because you're thinking depressed thoughts. And so you have to start back with your thinking, and we have to start thinking and asking God, transform my mind. Change my thinking. The key to transformation starts not with our actions and not with our behavior, uh, not in your body. It doesn't start with your will. It all starts with your thoughts. If you can change the way you think, then you'll change the way you feel. And if you change the way you feel, then you'll change the way you act. That's the premise of this verse. That's what, as you look at that verse, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God starts with the mind. He says, let's change the mind. Let's change how you behave. Let's change, change that mind. That mind then will equal to behavior. Now, we're going to take this principle, Romans 12, 2, and we're going to apply it to seven key areas of your life. We're relational, our physical, our mental, our spiritual, our emotional, our financial, our vocational. We're going to look at all seven of these major areas of life about how do I change this and so that I, I feel and I act differently in these seven different areas. And that's called transformation. And that's what we're looking for and that's what we're desiring. Transformation changes us from emptiness to fullness. I believe transformation will change us from defeat and failure to faith and victory. Transformation changes us from insecurity and inferiority to courage and to boldness. It helps us to become all that God wants us to be. In this first message, we're looking at our spiritual health. I want you to know that the further away you get from God, the more trouble you're probably going to experience in your life. The further you move away, the more trials, the more difficulties, the more stress, the more things are going to go wrong because you're not cooperating with the Creator, with our great Creator. When you're not following God's plan for your life, the Bible says that the way of the unrighteous is a rough way. The way of ungodliness, the way when we do things our way, it's full of thorns, it's full of difficulties, it's rocky road. The further I get away from God, the more trouble I'm going to have in my life. On the other hand, the closer I get to God, the more life is going to be transformed. And the closer I get to God, when there is trouble, I'll be able to walk through it and be able to handle it in a God-centered and a Christ-centered way. We can see this through Scripture. Paul, for instance, 
when he finally met Jesus Christ uh, face to face, he's radically transformed. He is literally transformed uh, from being what would be known today as a terrorist. He, he was a religious terrorist. He was taking people's lives. He was approving of people being stoned and people being killed for their faith. And he changed it from being someone who's a religious terrorist into someone who was full of love and someone who became a missionary of Jesus Christ. That's transformation. You look at Isaiah. Isaiah was, was transformed from a depressed person into a courageous person when he met God. And when he got close to God, his whole life changed. You look at Moses. Moses got so close to God, the Bible says that he was even transformed by his appearance. People even had to, had to look away because he shined the, the brightness of God so brightly that they couldn't even look at him because there was no darkness in him. He was literally physically transformed. And you probably know people like that where you say, man, they've been walking with the Lord and when I see them and they walk in a room, they just kind of have a glow about them. It's just they walk with God. I, I think that we all want to be close to God. I think everybody in this room probably desires. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't have desire to want to know God in some way or be close. The Bible says, though, that we are all like sheep. We tend to wander away. We tend to, tend to turn to our own way. We, we get off track. And we all tend to do that. You don't have to teach sheep to drift off. And they just do that very naturally. By their very nature, they kind of wander off, and the shepherd has to go back and bring them in and says, hey, let's protect you. I mean, sheep really are not very smart animals. They'll walk off an edge of a cliff. They'll see a den of wolves, and they'll think, well, I'm one of them, and they'll wander right over, and the wolves are like, great, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Here it is. I mean, sheep just, they're not very smart, and sheep tend to wander. And the Bible says, all we, that means you and me, all of us are like sheep. We tend to go astray. Now, if you take that further, you can actually interpret that God says, sometimes we're pretty dumb. I don't like that interpretation, but it's accurate. And sometimes we think, well, that looks really good. And then all of a sudden we're destroyed. Oh, that looks really good. And we fall and bump our head. Oh, that looks really good. And we fall and hurt ourselves. Today, as we start this transformation... What I just said was that you get, as you get closer to God, the more you're going to be transformed. We need to talk about how to get close to God. We need to talk about how to do that. How do you stay close to God? And if you've fallen away from God, how do you get back into that relationship again? How do you get back on that path to say, I'm in that walking with God mode again? Some of you can point to a time in your life when you would say, I remember when I felt God's presence. I mean, stop and think about it for a moment. Can you remember? Man, I can remember when I was in my college years and I was part of that college ministry. I can remember when I was in high school and I was part of that high school ministry. Oh, I can remember when I made that commitment to Christ and, you know, my wife and I did that together. I mean, you, you, can, you can recall those moments. You can recall the moments. I went on that retreat. Man, it was fabulous. It was wonderful. And that kept me on a high for so long. And I was walking so close to God that I could sense his friendship. I could sense the fellowship. I had the joy of, of Jesus inside my life. But sometimes, as as life comes along, we start to lose that. Sometimes things happen in life. It's, it's like you let the air out of the balloon, so to speak. Like, it was great, and I was floating, and now it's gone flat. How do I get back to that closeness with God if I've wandered away or I've gotten off path, kind of lost the spark? If I'm not close to God, then I don't have the power to, for transformation to happen inside of me. 
And so it's, impo- it's very important that we talk about how do we stay close to God. Now, fortunately, the Bible deals with this topic. And there's a story that I absolutely love. You, you've heard it before. It's one of those famous stories in the Bible. Jesus told it in Luke 15. You have your Bible? Turn there. It's the story of the prodigal son, or, or some, sometimes it's called the story of the loving father because it's really more about the father than it is about the, about the son. But in Luke 15, we, we see the story. I, I want to read this to you, and then let's draw some conclusions and some lessons out of this today. Luke 15, uh, starting in verse 11, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, give me my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father divided his wealth between his sons. Now, what that means, he said, hey, I want my money before you die, dad. Now, I just got to tell you, my kids would come to me and said that. I'd be like, sorry, Charlie, you're out of luck. I don't have any money to give you. So understanding that whole concept, in other words, dad was probably rather wealthy. Dad had done well in his investments. He had done well in business. And the son knew that and thought, when my dad dies, I'm entitled and I want to receive. And I can't wait. And he actually had enough boldness to go to his dad and say, can I have it now? A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and left home to live in a distant land. He got as far away from his father as he could. There he squandered the gift he'd been given and wasted his life and money on wild parties and reckless living. About the time all his money ran out, a severe famine hit the land and he began to, be, to starve because he was left with nothing. The only job he could find was feeding swine on a farm. He became so desperate and hungry that even the pig slop was feeding, he was feeding, the swine looked good to him. Could you imagine being in that place of life? Man, I am so broken, I am so destitute, I am so poor, and I have nothing, and I'm feeding these pigs this slop, and I'm so hungry, I want some. That's what he's saying, I'm so hungry that even that looks good to me. But no one would give him anything for his hunger. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, this is crazy. At my father's home, even the lowest paid workers eat well. Well, I'm far away dying of hunger. I'm going to return home to my father and humbly say, Father, I have sinned against both God and you, and I'm not worthy to be part of this family or called your son. But please just make me one of your servants who works for you. With that attitude, he headed back home to his father. But while the son was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against both God and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring me the finest robe in our house and put it on him. Then get my signet ring for his finger and shoes for his feet. Then roast the calf we have been fattening. We're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. For this child of mine was distant and dead, but now he's back and he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Don't you love that story? I mean, it's a story of, of, of reconciliation. It's a story of hope. Here it is, the young son who says, I want what's owed to me. I'm going to go take care of me, myself, and I. I've got life all figured out, and we've all been in that standpoint at some time. And a lot of times it's in those teenage years. I got life all figured out. I'm smarter than my mom and dad. My mom and dad don't know anything. Let me just go live by myself. And dad says, Go. Here's some money. I'll even help you. Go live by yourself. Get out the house now. 
Dad knew. Dad knew his son didn't have enough smarts, enough maturity, how to handle the funds and what to do in life. But dad also knew sometimes you got to go out there and you got to struggle to be awakened. I love the story because many times, what do we think of in this world? We think of, well, when I blew it, there's no way I could go back home because my mom and dad, there's no way they would throw their arms open. There's no way they would have a party. But this is totally different because it really shows us the love of God our Father. It says, yeah, you've blown it. Yeah, you try to do it all by yourself. But man, I'm glad you're coming back. And my door is open. My arms are open. My house is open. Beyond that, I'm bringing out the fatted calf and I'm going to have a big old party and we're going to celebrate. See, from this story, we gain four things that you need to do to get back to God. We gain four understandings. I don't know where you are today. I mean, you may be here today and you may be way, way off. You may be like, I floated in this place because my wife drugged me here or my husband drugged me here. I came here today because this is where I come to church. I really don't want to be here, but I just came. You, you may be far away. You may be here today and go, I haven't been in church in years. Matter of fact, this could be some of you's first time ever come to church. And you came on the right day, and God says, I, I've got a great story and a great plan for your life. You, you may have been just, just distant this week, maybe just this week, you've been kind of all path. You're like, man, God, I haven't been connecting real well this week. And I bet you're probably desiring, how do I get close to him? How do I get to know God? This story shows us how. There's four things. First of all, you got to get fed up with your life. See, the first step in transformation is for you to get disgusted, to get discontent, to get fed up with the way that you're living. Look what the Scripture says in Luke 15. He says he wasted it all. He had nothing left. He got desperate and hungry, and he finally came to his senses. I want to tell you, until you get desperate and hungry in your walk with God, you're not going to go anywhere. Until you get to the point that says, man, I have tried it my way and my way doesn't work. Until you've hit your head against the wall so much, until you've hit rock bottom, until you get to the point where you're like, I'm sick of being stressed, I'm sick of being overwhelmed, I'm sick of worrying, I'm sick of being broken, I'm sick of having a heart that's hard, I'm sick of being upset, I'm sick of being negative, I'm sick of all this. Until you get to that point, transformation is not going to happen. It won't happen. I see some of you shaking your heads. I, I know some of your stories. I don't know all of them, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, man, I've been there. And that's why I am where I am today because I got to that point. And there are some in this room today, and I'm praying against, and I'm praying every single day that some of us are just like this with God. God, I dare you to try to do something in my life. And some of us are so closed up and filled with pain and regret and hurt and worry and stress. And until you get to the point say, I'm fed up with that. Until you get to the point to say, God, okay, I'll open myself up to you. It's not going to change. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God's having a conversation with Jeremiah. And God says this. He says, you will find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. You'll find me when you get serious and when you want it more than anything else. So if you want to know God and you want that more than anything else, God says, you'll find me. You'll come to know me. And nothing 
changes in your life until you get fed up. You see what it says? And Luke, he said, finally, I came to my senses. Have you reached the point in your life where you've come to your senses? To say, my way doesn't work. My way is, is broken. I need to come to my senses and go, there's a better way. And the better way is to live according to God's way. That's what happened in this story. This young man went out and said, I'm going to live life by myself. I'm going to do it all on my own. My dad, he's not smart enough. He doesn't understand it all. Give me my money, dad. I'm going to go do it all by myself. And he gets out there and he starts going, oh my goodness, I'm so stupid. These pigs look good and their food look good. And, and it's just terrible. He finally woke up. Have you tried that in your life? Oh, yeah, well, I made a commitment to Jesus many years ago, but Jesus is over there, and I live life over here. We've got to get to the point that we come to our senses and go, you know what, my life over here is not working. Let me get back to that Jesus that I met some time ago or years ago, and let me learn how to walk with him. Until you get fed up with life, nothing's going to change. Matter of fact, until you get fed up with life, the next six weeks you're going to struggle. Because we're going to hit some very specific areas that there won't be change until you're fed up in those areas. And you say, something's got to adjust. Number two, after you get fed up, you have to own up to my sin. You have to own up to your sin. So I get fed up. And then you look at the story, Luke 15, 17, 18. He says, when he came to his sins, he said, I have sinned against God in you. Ooh, I just said the word sin in church. We don't want to talk about that in our culture today, do we? I mean, we don't want to address, oh, well, you fell short. Oh, you made a mistake, Johnny. You made a mistake, Sally. Oh, it's okay. No, we have sinned. We have chosen, chosen to live life on our own, in our own way, and basically said to God, God, I don't need you. I'll do it by myself. And when you say, I don't need you, God, I'll do it by myself, and I'll choose, make my own choices, what you're saying is, God, I choose to sin. And that's what this young man got to. And he realized, I have sinned. And he came to his senses and he says, I've sinned. I've ignored my dad. And beyond ignoring my dad, I've ignored, ignored the God that my dad has been trying to get me to understand and get me to follow. And nothing is going to happen and, and, until you come to stage two. And stage two, that, that you just got to own up to it. That you've got to own up to it, that, that you need to face up to the fact that I've not been living God's way, and, and I've been living my way, and I've been doing things my way, and own up to the fact that I've been doing what I think is best versus what God says is best, is to own up to, to that I've been doing my way, and my way's not working. And I've been trying to control everything around me, even though I know I can't control it, I'm still trying to control it all getting tired of holding on to the controls. Until you get tired of holding on to the controls and realize you've been holding on, until you resign as general manager of the universe, so to speak. We all have that syndrome sometimes. Until you resign from that, you're not going to be able to cooperate with God. Look, Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your sins have separated you from God and have, and, and have hidden His face from you. Go back to the Garden of Eden for a moment. 
You get the picture. Remember Adam and Eve, they're created. They're in the garden. It's perfect. It's beautiful. Flowers are growing and trees are growing. Grass is green. Everything's a bloom. It's never dying. The water is pure. I think they could dip down, drink the water right out of the river. Everything was gorgeous. And God said, there's just one thing. Stay away from that one tree. Don't eat of it. They say, oh, no, let's do that because God really didn't say that. They did that. God comes in. Where are you? What are they doing? They're hiding. They're hiding. They're now away from God. There's a great chasm. There's a great divide. They've been separated. What are they hiding? They found some big old leaves on one of those big old trees and started covering themselves with it. That's exactly what we do. We have sin in our life. And in the scriptures, in Isaiah, it says, You separated yourself from God. See, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? If you feel distant from God, guess who? God hasn't moved. We move. The truth is you are as close to God as you choose to be. And God will clean us up if we so desire that. David wrote these words in Psalm 51. He said, be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins. Wash away all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults and I am conscious that I have sinned against you. I mean, that's a cry. David's like, God, I am a sinner. God, I am a sinner. I am broken. He says, then I recognize my faults. I recognize I'm a sinner. I'm a conscious of that. And he says, clean me up. He owns it. He owns it. Do you stop and own and say, you know what, God, today I'm far away from you. i got to own that. Or, God, this week I've been far away from you. i got to own that. Or, God, for the last month I've been far away from you. i got to own that. Or, God, for the last several years I've been away from you. And, God, I need to own that because I have allowed my sin to control me versus allowing you to control me. Isaiah 1.18 says, the Lord says, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. I love that passage. That means God does oxyclean work inside of our soul. It's going to snow this week, I think. And when you look at the snow this week, is it, oh, no, it's snowing. Oh, no, I got to deal with the traffic, and I got to deal with getting to school and work. Or is it going to be, man, that snow is beautiful because that reminds me God cleans me up. A visual reminder. And lately, and. Kentucky, the visual reminder has been a lot. <laughs> a visual reminder, white snow, God cleans us up. This week in your small group, you're going to learn seven habits for spiritual health. Seven habits. Now, I want to give you one additional one today. It's, it, you can say now I have eight habits. The habit of regular spiritual checkups. It is good to do a regular spiritual checkup. You have your book, turn to page 220. And I want to encourage you to take this home and make sure you do this this week. It is not getting turned into anybody. This is between you and God. Page 220 has what they call a spiritual health assessment. You know, we have assessments all the time. I go over to Kroger and I sit down in that little chair and stick my arm in and press the button. Anybody else do that? Come on now, I'm not the only one that does that. Who else goes to Walgreens or Kroger and you say, check my blood pressure? You guys got to be lying to me. 
Thank you. My father-in-law stood up for me. He said, I'm with you, son. You go over there. Okay, you don't go there. You go to the doctor, wherever you go. Go and donate blood. What do they do? They check your pressure, check your blood. You get checkups. At certain age, you're supposed to get checkups. You're supposed to be evaluated. I say supposed to because some of us don't like doctors and we stay away. But just as it's good for your body to have health checkups, it's good for us to have spiritual growth checkups. So on page 220 and 221 and 222 and 223, there is a spiritual health assessment. I love this. When we were planning for this in the Transform Planning Team, we were like, man, we need some way that we can help people sit and evaluate their own walk with God. How can we do that? And we're trying to figure all that out. And then we got all the materials. And we went, great, they already had that idea. Because it's good to sit down and say, how am I doing in this area? How am I doing in that area? And between you and God, just you guys sit and talk about it, score yourself, and then come back to it a year down the road and say, let's do that again. Am I growing? Am I not growing? And so you have in there a way to say, is God cleaning me up? Is there some work going on? Am I being made white as snow? Am I being transformed, if you're able to measure that. And so I want to encourage you, look at that, use that this week. Don't just ignore it and think, oh, it's all that important. It will help you grow. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, test yourself to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking anything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups if you fail the test. Do something about it. It's a great instruction from Paul. Test yourself. Take a moment and look at your life. Matter of fact, in a minute, we're going to share communion together. We're going to partake as a, as a group, and as a family. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says a man, you can say a man or a woman, ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. That's a testing. That's an evaluation. Where am I at in the Lord? Where am I at in Jesus? We've got to take time to evaluate ourselves. You've got to get fed up with your spot of life. Then you've got to be honest and say, God, where am I at in you? And then you've got to own that. And then thirdly, you've got to offer yourself. Offer myself. Notice the change in attitude. In Luke 15, 11, the son drifted away saying, give me. Give me my share. Give me what I want. And then Luke 15, 17, he returned to the father saying, make me a servant. That's a major attitude change. That's a transformation. He leaves saying, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want, I want, I want. He comes back saying, make me, transform me, change me, make me new. That's true transformation. When your heart moves from self-centeredness to God-centeredness, that's called transformation. That's what I'm praying for for our congregation. That's what I'm praying for for you. That's heart transformation. The greatest is from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. When we start thinking, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my desires. It's about what will honor God, what will exalt God, what will lift him up, what will make him happy, what will please him. When you've reached that point in life, you know there's some transformation taking place in your life. Are you there yet? Are you still kind of a spot of life? Give me, give me, give me. I want, I want. Or is your attitude, make me your servant, God? Make me your servant. He returns saying, make me. That's a heart transformation. Transformation is never instant or overnight. Salvation is instant. Transformation takes time. Salvation happens in a moment. Being transformed to being like Jesus takes time. 
2 Corinthians 3.18 says, we reflect the Lord's glory and our being, that's a process, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The word transformed actually comes from the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get our word metamorphosis, from caterpillar to a chrysalis to a butterfly. You ever stop and watch a caterpillar? Oh, it's kind of neat to pick it up, and it's kind of fuzzy, but you watch them, they just kind of inch along, not really making much progress. They're brown, or sometimes, you know, before winter, you're like, is it brown? Is it black? Has it got a little bit of black and a little bit of brown? What kind of winter is that going to be? You know, you look at but they're really a nonproductive. I mean, you look at it and go, what is the purpose of that little thing? And after a while, watching a, uh, a caterpillar gets kind of boring. You can go, okay, you're not moving much. Okay, you curl up in that ball, and you've been sitting in my palm now for 10 minutes because you're terrified to death, and I'm going to squash you. <laughs> and it doesn't do anything. But if you leave that caterpillar on, what does it do? It goes into this little nest, and all of a sudden it's going through its process of transformation, and what happens? It comes out and flies, and it's now a butterfly, and it's absolutely beautiful. So we here have flower gardens. We have butterflies coming to them. And to sit and watch the butterflies fly and land on it and then watch how gracefully it moves and it flies to new spots. Butterflies are absolutely gorgeous. And you can sit in a butterfly garden watching butterflies for a long time. It's fun. Go to a butterfly uh, uh, place like at a zoo or whatever and walk around and see all the different kinds and sizes. God did not create you or me to sit in this world going, <laughs> he didn't do that. He made us to transform and to soar like a butterfly. He made us to have life that is beautiful and that's great. And even though there may be some struggles and some difficulties, his desire is walk in me. I want to transform you just like similar to that butterfly. And transformation is a process. And we are today are just kind of at the starting point, so to speak. See, we must begin with an attitude that says, God, make me. Not me, 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 I, 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 I. God, make me. God, transform me. God, make me into a butterfly. God, make me soar. God has made you to be something beautiful. God has made you to be something beautiful. You've got to go through transformation. And it's a process. And the transformation process is one where we get fed up with the way we've been living. It's one where we, where we own up and we get honest with God and say, God, I'm fed up. And God, now I'm honest that I, I'm, I've screwed up. God, I've got to admit, I've been living for myself. I, I do a checkup and say, God, I want to get better and transformation that process. But the starting point with the prodigal son is when he said, make me. That's an offer up. Offered up my life. Make me, transform me, change me. God, I don't want to live the rest of my life the way I've been living right now. Change me. I offer to you my life. Here I am. Romans 12, 1 and 2, because God is merciful to your set, to you, Offer yourselves. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, we think worship is when we come here and we sing. That's part of it. It's really a little tiny part of it, to tell you the truth. But in our American culture, we have elevated it to be such a big thing. You all would freak out if we came in one day and I said, hey, there's no music. We're not singing a song 
We're going to read the Bible and pray. You'd be like, I'm not going back to that church again. Because we look for the music. Now, very much so in the book of Psalms, yeah, music's part of our worship. But a bigger part of our worship is that we offer our lives as living sacrifices. That means daily I die to myself and daily I say, God, you're still on the throne and what do you want from me? That's what we're supposed to do. Now, the cool thing is, the important thing in this story is the father's response. Luke 15, he says, filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him and said, bring the best. Bring the best fattened calf we put together. God has a better life for you you can imagine. And when you turn and you say, God, I've screwed up. I'm owning it. God is not sitting back going, now you do this, this, and 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 this. And then you'll be right with me. God's saying, I love you. God is saying, return to me. God has already ran to us in Jesus Christ. He ran to the cross, and he's at the cross just waiting for us to say, God, I need you. He's ready to grab your hand. He's ready to grab on you and say, let's walk together. I want to transform you. I want to make you new. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God doesn't lay down and say, you terrible, horrible person. You made a commitment to me so many years ago. You've been so bad. I'm going to give you a whipping and ground you for this long and do this and do that. He says, thank you that you're waking up here. I love you. Let's get back on the journey together. Don't you love it that we worship a God who, loves, who, who allows U-turns? He allows U-turns. He allows you to be going in the wrong direction, and you realize, I'm going in the wrong direction. Turn around and go the other way, and he says, now you're getting back in the right direction. I'm here to help you. We get fed up, we own up, we offer up, and fourthly, we lift up my praise. At that point, you lift up praise to God. Luke 15, he says, we're going to celebrate with a feast of eating and drinking. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party begins. His dad threw a party. And Psalm 68, 4 says, sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him. His name is the Lord. I mean, when you realize I've not been walking with God in the right way, I'm going to get back on that journey getting close to God, and you start doing it, and you walk with God, what do we do? We do nothing but praise. He's throwing a party that you're doing that. And may I just say, for your own transformation, you need to sing. So what are you talking about? Now, Rick Warren said he has a friend who's a psychologist, and I kind of looked this up. It's true. has a psychologist friend who says that when people come to him looking for help for depression, his psychologist friend will ask people, well, did you sing in church this past week? And did you sing all of the songs? And many times they go, well, not really. I kind of sang. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do. For the next three weeks when you go to church, I want you to sing, and you have to sing all of the songs. So I want you to do that. He said what they do is they do that. They go and sing all the songs for the next few weeks. Then they come back and see them. And many times they go, man, I'm feeling a whole lot better. Maybe not completely over it, but they're feeling a whole lot better. There's a global study came out a few years ago done by a Swedish researchers. They did a scientific study and concluded that the habit of group singing, not singing by yourself, singing in a group, the habit of group singing is good for your health. And there was, they discovered what, David discovered years ago in the book of Psalm that it's great to sing praises to our God. And when we do that together, it's good for your health. 
It's great therapy to sing along with people. It's good for your mental health and your emotional health and your social health. It's good for your physical health in all different areas. They did an extensive study discovering that, that singing with other people lowers your blood pressure, releases endorphins, which makes you feel good, improves your mood, builds your confidence, relieves the loneliness, releases negative emotions and stress, and creates positive emotions. And nowhere in the study did it say you had to be on key. And I say, amen. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. How many of y'all in here are noisemakers with me? Thank you. Welcome to the club. Let's make noise every week. And allow those then who are good singers and can carry a tune and all that stuff, let's let them have to put up with us. Sometimes it's fun to stand next to someone who can sing, and I'm singing, and I'm going, oh, boy, they're laughing. As a matter of fact, I just had a conversation with Matt in the back. I said, Matt, you're running the computer back here. I know you can sing. I said, you just have to put up with me howling in your ear sometimes. I'm back there putting my mic on singing. It's good to sing. And I want to tell you, another study showed that people who sing and worship each week live longer. I want some of you to live longer. You can figure out who the sum is. We live longer when we sing, when we worship God together. Now, you can read the book by yourself. It's called Imperfect Harmony, Finding Happiness and Singing with Others. You have a chance, a, a chance to get healthy in here every single week. And I wonder, these researchers are just discovering what the Lord has directed us to do because it says, do not neglect the gathering together with other Christians. And they're just discovering what God's already put down in the Word. He says, listen, sing praises in my name, gather together, and do that together. They're discovering what God's already put together. And that's why I say sometimes when you don't feel like coming to worship, that's when you really need to go. I don't feel like going today. Well, then go, and probably you walk out of here, man, I am so glad I went. But you need to sing. You need to participate. Psalm 13, 6 says, I will sing to the Lord because he has been good to me. Has God been good to you? You stop and think about your life. Yeah, you may be walking through some struggles. You may be walking through some bumps in a row. But overall, has God been good to you? If he has, then sing to him. You'll be transformed. Every Sunday when you come to worship, you have a chance to improve your health. The father celebrated the salvation of his son with a feast. That's what he did. The father said, man, my son has returned home. We're no longer separated. We're now united. We're back together as a family. The father celebrated that through a feast. We do a celebration every week with communion. It's emblems, reminders that Jesus gave us of our unity with Jesus when we believe in His death, His burial, and resurrection. Our ushers are going to come right now, servers, and they're going to pass communion to you. I encourage you to take the cup and take the cracker and hold on to that and and put that in your hand. And as they're doing that, let me just remind you of of the setting. Jesus is with His disciples, and it's the what's known as the Last Supper. And I always picture it kind of as a as a thing kind of similar to my home, my Thanksgiving dinner, we would be gathered in the house, and my house wasn't real big where I grew up at, but we'd be watching Detroit Lions football, and usually they were losing, but we were watching, the turkey's being made, and we're fellowshipping in the house, and we're playing some board games, this and that, and inevitably my mom 
my mom would have the meal finished like at three in the afternoon, right when it's like getting to the fourth quarter or something like that. And we're like, why does she do that all the time? And my dad was not a big football fan. He's like, turn the TV off. Everyone gather in the kitchen. We're like, Dad, the game, they're actually close. They might win. I don't care. Turn it off. And we'd get in the kitchen. We'd gather around. So he stopped all the activity, all the conversating, all the board games. He stopped it all and said, gather around. Let's talk about this day. The day was Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? What's been good this last year? And we'd spend a few moments doing that, and my dad would then lead us in prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving, and then we'd dive into eating and quickly go turn the TV back on. Did they win? Did they lose? Is it still playing or not? Trying to figure all that out. That's how I kind of picture communion, the Last Supper. It's not a perfect picture. Jesus is gathered around the tables with his disciples, and they're talking about life. Maybe they're sharing stories about things that happened in the previous week, and they're talking, and they know because Jesus has already told them, this day is coming, we're going to die. But he now stops them in the middle of the conversation and says, hey, let me draw your attention to something here really important. At the table, he says, listen, I want to grab this wine because wine was the drink of the day at that time. It was the purified drink. And he grabbed unleavened bread that was sitting there because they would normally have meals and they would have bread with them and they would eat that bread. And he grabbed those emblems. He said, now listen up for a moment. I want you to never forget me. And I want you to never forget the relationship that we have together and the opportunities that we have. And so he then explains it to them. It says, this cup represents my blood that's going to be shed on the cross. And this, this loaf of bread represents my body that's going to be given for you. And when you gather, when you eat, and when you drink, never forget me. Don't ever forget me. Do it kind of as a remembrance, a celebration of me. My death, my burial, and resurrection. The Apostle Paul wrote about these words. Here's what Apostle Paul said. He said, a night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and spoke a prayer of thanksgiving. He broke the bread and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you as I, as I received it. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. With given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, he comes again. This cup and this bread that we take reminds us of Jesus. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. You're announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. We partake in communion. You, you pick up the cup and the cracker, and you do that weekly here at Center Point. You're saying, God, I want to be close to you. You do that, you're saying, God, I, I want to recognize my sin. The scripture we read earlier said, We've got to examine ourselves. And then we own it up. We say, God, I, I examine myself, I own it. That's my sin. The good thing is, this reminds us that it's forgiven. It's been done away with. And so I want us to partake together. If you would, let's pray together, and I'm going to guide you. Father, we hold in our hands, Lord, this meal that you instituted, communion. We hold in our hand a cracker, and we hold in our hand 
some juice. And it reminds us, Lord, of your death, your burial, and resurrection. Lord, right now, we're going to take a moment, just examine ourselves. Ask God to show you what's in the way of you being close to him. God, we own it. Whatever that is, I encourage you, own it right now. God, I own that. That's me. That's my sin. That's my shortcoming. That's my difficulty. That's my challenge. God, we own it. And while we own it, God, we're giving it to you right now. We're owning it. We're giving it to you. We're saying, Lord, make me new. Lord, it's no longer about us. It's no longer about me. It's about you. Make me new. And Lord, we partake of this cracker together, this bread. And Father, we say thank you for your body that was given on the cross. Go ahead and partake of the cracker now. Thank you, Father, for that sacrifice of your body, your son's body. And Father, we partake of this cup, this juice that reminds us of the blood that was shed on the cross that covers our sin, that did away with our sin, washed it away so that we can be made new. Together, Lord, we partake and we say thank you for your blood shed on the cross. Let's partake together. Jesus, we are thankful that we can be made whiter than snow. We can be made whiter than snow because of what Jesus did on the cross. Father, help us this week as we go on this journey, get closer to you. God, for some in this room, that step might be confessing you as Savior, being baptized into Jesus. Lord, if that's their step, would you work on their heart and their mind now? Take maybe that step today. Take that, that, that next step very soon and near. Lord, help us to grow close to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.